Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Horror Geek Podcast from HorrorGeekLife.com. I'm your host, Melissa. And today, Matt and I are going to talk about the newest big slasher release that came to Netflix just a few days ago, and that is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So before we get into that, which we're going to have some fun talking about that, um, <laughs> but before we get into that, hi, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk about this film and a few pieces of news that we'll be uh, covering as well. Oh, same. And, you know, we kind of fell off for a few weeks. I actually took a new job for anyone out there who doesn't know. Horror Geek Life is still my baby and it's still up and active. But I also took a job as associate editor with MovieWeb. I started a couple of weeks ago, and um, it has just been go, go, go since I started. <laughs> it's a really great opportunity. It's a great experience. I love it. It is definitely taking a lot of my time to learn the ropes and get acquainted with my new team and such. So, But after watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre last night, I messaged you and asked if you'd seen it because I really wanted to, to talk about this. Right. Luckily for me, you've seen it and you wanted to talk about it also. And I think we're pretty much on the same page with this film. Uh, very much so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for a minute. So before we get into the news today, Matt, is there anything that you have been reading, watching, playing that you want to talk about? I have been playing, well, I was playing, I should say, uh, Dying Light 2, but we will get into that uh, a little more <laughs> in depth here shortly. I've been reading a few comics, catching up on some stuff. Nita Ha's Nightmare Blog by Rodney Barnes, which is a Philadelphia spinoff, has been superb. A book called Out from AWA Studios has been amazing as well. And another AWA book called The Fourth Man, which is kind of a whodunit mystery. It's been pretty good so far. Nita Hawes, if you love horror comics, you have to read this. It is just so good. Rodney Barnes is a genius, and I've really loved that series. And out as well, the fifth issue, the final issue, um, because it was limited, is coming out, oh my gosh, I think this week. I hope so. So that's going to wrap up that little World War II monster uh, story, and I'm really excited. And you mentioned the fourth man. Okay, I have to ask. So The Fourth Man is a comic that, you know, like you said, a crime type story, gangster story. Mm -hmm. All of the art, though, it <laughs> <laughs> okay, you already know where I'm going with this. Yes. All of the art looks like real people. And like, I'm pretty sure that one of the main characters is Bill Paxton. It has to be. Oh, yes, most definitely. I've seen quite a few actors that the art is very derivative of. Yes. I think I've seen Ed Harris and Ethan Suppley in there. It had to have been mentioned in the writer's notes, or maybe it's uh, Mike Diodato, the artist, just throwing some stuff he likes in there. I, I have no idea, but there's no way that all of this is coincidence. The guy who I'm pretty sure is actually Bill Paxton, he pulls out or someone pulls out his identification and he looks exactly as he did in Weird Science. And his name is actually the brother's name in Weird Science. And so I'm like putting all this together and it's <laughs> it's like distracting me from the actual story. But at the same time, I'm not mad about it. You know? Yes. Yes. It's very entertaining. <laughs> Yes. 
I recommend it to everyone, especially for the little, I'm just going to call them Easter eggs of all actors that I'm a fan of. And uh, I also want to shout out his first book before he started writing this was called Grindle, Kentucky, and kind of a Beowulf-like adaptation, but with growing marijuana and a biker gang. But it is very, very, very well done. And yeah, I'm really excited to see more of what this guy does in the future. Very cool. I'm going to have to check that out. And, you know, I I think that when you're looking at comics right now, I mean, my most bought label right now, personally, is actually Image. I mean, Image just has so many great titles. It's just unreal. But if you take out Marvel, DC, and Image, I really think that my favorite label is AWA. They just have so Mm -hmm. many great comics coming out right now. It's nice to give them some love. When they first started up, I've picked up every single series, even if it was writers I wasn't familiar with, uh, just based on their their track record, man. Their, their whole line has been just amazing by far for the amount of books they put out in total. Every single thing I've read from them has been great. Um, not disappointed in a single title. And that's crazy. Yeah. I can't think of any other publishing company from comics that has done that ever. Yeah. I mean, they just kind of came in under the radar. And then when I got turned on to them, I buy them every single week now. Yep. So just continuing here with comics, another title that I did read is Swamp Thing Green Hell. And I'm a huge Swamp Thing fan. And this one did not disappoint. It is only going to have three issues. The first one, though, oh, my God, it was phenomenal. And I definitely have to recommend that if you're into Swamp Thing at all. The really cool thing there is that Constantine showed up. Yes, old man Constantine. I mean, of course, this is far from the first time that the two have had any type of interaction. (laughs) Yes. I just loved it. I loved his appearance. And that actually prompted me to start Constantine Hellblazer from the very beginning, which started in 1988. So every night I've been reading a little bit of that because I have never read those comics. So I'm getting into that and getting to know the character a lot more than, you know, just the mainstream stuff. Um, And it's been pretty eye opening. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very dark comic series. Yes. It tackles issues that I honestly did not expect it to tackle. Yes. As a huge Constantine fan that especially, uh, well, not just especially the beginning, but the whole run is not afraid to tackle taboo subjects about as dark as you can get, especially for a DC book. You know, this was coming out on the racks next to Superman and Batman. (laughs) So it eventually moves to the Vertigo imprint, which was a more adult oriented label. But, you know, these early issues are very dark. It's just funny to me thinking some child could have easily just picked them up off the spinner rack with their Superman book. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, it's true. And especially back in the late 80s, nobody cared. Mm -hmm. A comic book was a comic book. You know, it, it just wasn't really looked at in any other type of way. And like I said, I, I've been reading this and I mean, 
definitely some trigger warnings here <laughs> that it yes it, it definitely goes some places so but i've been really enjoying the series and like i said i've been reading that a little bit every night i think i'm on to uh like issue 11 or 12 tonight so pretty fun the last thing i'll mention is you've already kind of mentioned it here but dying light 2 <laughs> <laughs> i know why you're laughing so we're having yeah. different experiences i feel like very. You on <laughs> you are on PlayStation 4. I am. And I'm on PC. Mm-hmm. And they do not play the same, apparently. No. Oh, uh, <laughs> one plays and one doesn't play at all. <laughs> you know, on PC, I've had some like funny, goofy things happen, which, okay, I'm a Fallout player. I am totally used to some of these glitches happening. You know, it's like the Bethesda effect that people joke about. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you decapitate something and like their body like twitches off the ground and kind of levitates or something. I'm totally used to that. It doesn't bother me. It makes me laugh. Um, it takes me out of the game for half a second. I get right back into it. But unfortunately for you, <laughs> <laughs> the, some of the things you've been telling me about just made me laugh so hard. So hopefully they fix that soon. Yes, uh, I, I am just fine with uh, with minor glitches like that. I usually also get chuckle out of some of those. But when you are trying to play a story-oriented game and every single cutscene, the dialogue gets completely cut off. And even if you have the subtitles turned on, they just flash across the screen <laughs> and, like quicker than you can read them. But all the animation's still there, so... You have to sit there through an entire segment with no clue what the hell is going on. And so I haven't been playing Dying Light 2 because it's unplayable. Hopefully they do put out a patch that helps you out because I was excited to tell you that there's DLC out. I didn't look at the email. I just saw the header come through. I was working at the time. (laughs) So I sent a quick email like, hey, or a quick message and say, hey, uh, there's new DLC out, so maybe there's also a fix with it. And you're like, okay, it's a costume. <laughs> like, it's not going to help. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing that was upsetting. Uh, they they have released one patch and it fixed nothing. And then <laughs> I get that message saying there's DLC, and I'm like, really? They're focusing on some costume weapon combo and not fixing their actual gameplay? Like, come on, people. I guess that will be on hold for a little bit for you. Not for me. I will not be playing it at all. I mean, I can't, (laughs) even if I want to. You know, so far, I have to say I'm a huge fan of the first, as I've mentioned on other episodes. And I do like this one, but it feels very Dying Light light, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. So, you know, the first one, if you venture out at night, I mean, you're just dead. You're just going to die. Especially at the beginning. Oh my gosh, I had to level up so far. I think I actually beat the campaign, found a super awesome katana, and then I could finally venture out, but I was still dying, you know, and coming back and having to redo it. Like, it was just brutal. With this one, I have been venturing out at night, you know, under level five, and I'm just kind of running and I'm like, okay, I'm fine, (laughs) you know, just outrunning everything, so... This one is way easier than the first game. I will say that I had a bit more fun with the first installment than I have this one, especially because I could play the first game all the way through, which is always a plus. Yeah, it's always a good thing to be able to play your video games. Yes. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and dive into some news that has happened here recently. So first up, Hulu is bringing Futurama back. This is the show, which I'm not complaining. This is the show that will not die. (laughs) I can't think of another show that's been canceled this many times and it still comes back. Right. Now, the awesome news with that is that most of the original cast is coming back. So you have Billy West Mm -hmm. coming back as Fry, plus other characters. You have Katie Seagal coming back as Leela. And you have pretty much the entire main cast coming back, except for one major cast member. (laughs) And that is John DiMaggio. He plays Bender. And really, Bender makes this show. Right. Not only can I not see him replaced, but I cannot see a voice actor willing to cross kind of that imaginary picket line and taking over this voice. Because the voice acting community has really come out in support of of him because he's asking for more money. Mm -hmm. Voice actors are kind of the overlooked creative talents out there. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people backing him right now. And I just can't imagine someone raising their hand in front of the whole community and saying, yeah, I'll take this role. (laughs) Right. I mean, and I really can't say this without Bender. So I don't know what they're going to do, whether they're going to raise his pay. I mean, he can't accept it as is after putting up this huge fight. Yeah. Or we're not going to have Bender. They really don't even have that much time to figure this out either, because it is a 2023 premiere. You know, they have to start writing and recording and doing everything that they do. So they definitely have to figure this out here pretty quick. So the second bit of news is one that I totally fangirled over. I was so excited about this. I still am. But that is Walton Goggins is coming to the Fallout TV show. I have been excited about this TV series for two years since they announced it. It is coming from the same creators as Westworld. And we don't really know a whole lot about it. This is actually the first big announcement that we've had about the show. But he is one of my favorite actors. And he's so versatile that I think he's going to be fantastic. Yes. Reportedly, he's coming to play a ghoul. And I can see that. Yeah. I can see him kind of going the way of John Hancock, where he is this super knowledgeable, charming, (laughs) ghoul sidekick. Obviously, they're not going to put him in as like a mindless, feral ghoul. Right. Because Fallout House both, you know, just depends on your ghoulification levels. (laughs) 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 Um, So, you know, so yeah, so he could either be feral, which I highly doubt, or he's going to be highly intelligent and more human-like, but just immune to all radiation (laughs) in the wasteland. (laughs) I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'll watch anything with Mr. Goggins attached. This is going to come to Amazon, and I don't believe right now there's any type of release date. Uh, We do know it's coming to Amazon, and that the first episode is going to be directed by Jonathan Nolan, who, again, is a Westworld creator. Very interested in that. The last bit of news is that Stranger Things has been renewed for the fifth and final season. The Duff Brothers, who have created the show, they said in a statement through Netflix that seven years ago, we planned out the complete story arc for Stranger Things. At the time, we predicted that the story would have four to five seasons, but it proved too large to tell in four. As you'll soon see for yourselves, we are now hurtling towards the finale. So season four is going to actually come in two volumes on Netflix. The first volume is going to be available starting May 27th. I like this show. I think it's time for it to go, though. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hate to say that, but yeah, I loved the first season. I wasn't too. I I kind of felt like it lost a lot of steam in season two, and then it picked right back up again in season three. I was a really big fan of three, and I'm excited for it. It's been quite the hiatus. But um, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I was kind of hoping it was going to be done with season four, which I thought it was. But these things get drawn out sometimes. I just hope it's not something that goes on longer than necessary because it'll ruin the show. I think season two was kind of the emo phase of Stranger Things. (laughs) So much whining. Yeah, I think this next one, because the kids are older now and because of everything that happened in season three, I think we're going to see a lot of horror. I'm very okay with that. Yes, definitely. But yeah, so that is happening. And that wraps up our news for this week. Okay, so let's get into our main topic now, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As I said, it came out on Netflix a few days ago. And It totally retcons all of the sequels within the franchise. So it is jumping from part one, which released in 1974, and it says nothing in between happened, and it takes place 50 years after those events. So Tex Chainsaw Massacre 2 is not included. Sorry, Matt. We know that's your favorite. Yeah. It makes me upset that Frisky Leatherface is not canon now, to be honest. Yes, he is. So this movie is directed by David Blue Garcia. And David Blue Garcia has directed one other feature, which I believe is called Tejano in 2018. But this is his first mainstream film. Why I was really excited about this is that one of the writers is Fede Alvarez, who, you know, we know him from his work in Don't Breathe 1 and 2, also Evil Dead reboot. Mm hmm. He knows gore. Yes. He knows horror. He's one of the most exciting for me. He's one of the most exciting names in horror right now. So when I saw his name attached, I was actually hoping that he would be director initially. But when I saw that his name was attached, I was like, yes, like this is going to bring the gore and it is going to bring the shock factor and the horror, which we'll get into in just a minute. Now, let's start from the beginning here. We kind of mentioned already, this takes the Halloween 2018 approach in a few different ways. Number one, of course, is the time jump and the direct sequel to the first one. Nothing else has happened. The second way that they did that is they brought Sally back the same way that we saw Laurie Strode come back. In Halloween, we saw that between the events of the first film into Halloween 2018, Laurie Strode has been getting buff. She's been shooting guns. She's been (laughs) a a survivalist. She has been ready for Michael Myers to return. Yes. Now they do the exact same thing here with Sally. Marilyn Burns has Sally. She has passed away. Instead, we have Olwen Frare, who we know from Mandy. And she was phenomenal in Mandy. Agreed. And she is a really great actress. So she takes on the role of Sally, and she's been doing the same thing. She's now a Texas Ranger. She is awesome. She butchers her own pigs. She's a survivalist in her own right. She might not have the same approach as Laurie Strode completely, but she's still along the same lines. Now, the main plot of the film actually doesn't follow Sally. Sally is just kind of a side plot that they put in there, I think, to, you know, have fans think about the first one a little bit more. But instead, the main plot revolves around social media influencers, which just 
does not totally belong in Leatherface's world. If you're talking about the Leatherface from part one. No. It just doesn't seem to click. But that is what this one focuses on. Social media influencers bought the town of Harlow, Texas, and they are auctioning it off to fellow social media influencers. So everyone's coming out to get pictures in this historic town for the gram, and they are (laughs) buying up property that they want to make into a little haven community. That's the best way I can describe what this plot's doing here. (laughs) Yes, it it was a terrible premise. (laughs) Awful. It really was. Unfortunately, what that results in is really hateable characters. I couldn't stand any of the characters as soon as they show up. I had a very open mind, I feel like, going into this film. I was excited for it. I've been excited to see it. And as soon as we get to know the characters, minus one. Now, there is one character who I absolutely love, and that is Richter, played by Moe Dunford. I feel like his character was really the only character that felt real in this entire film. Agreed. He was very genuine. I related to him. I mean, I'm Texan. He's full Texan. (laughs) So maybe that's why. I don't know. But I really think that he was so likable. And I loved his character. Yes. The other character that I really, really liked and I really rooted for, though, was Leatherface. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I cannot remember the last time I rooted so hard for the killer. But I did. I did as well. Now, Mark Burnham plays Leatherface in this film, and I think he just did a great job. I loved his look. Definitely one of the biggest positives of the film is how great they made him look. Like I said, I have no complaints there. Going back to this plot, they head into Harlow, Texas, and there's a lot of social media influencers who are gathering in this little town and taking cute selfies and pictures. But unfortunately, there's one resident left, an older woman who ran an orphanage in town. At some point, there are some questions here that we never really got answered. For some reason, she has been Leatherface's caregiver for for years now, for a long time. And she understands him. She gets that he's different. Of course, I'm not really sure why she had him as one of her kids, if we saw him as an adult in the first one. Any theories there, Matt? Uh, Yeah, it's called bad writing. They even kept going back to a picture of the entire class together and his face was scratched out. So it's not like he came to this orphanage when he was like 30. I'm not really sure what happened here. Apparently, he's part of this orphanage and he still lives there. It seems like he's she's the one who has really kept him from killing and from acting out this entire time during the two films. Yeah, she she had some kind of calming effect on him, I'm assuming. Yes. Whenever the influencers come up, which by the way, I'll I'll quit calling them that every single time. But um, the main one is Melody. And she's played by Sarah Yarkin, who we saw in Happy Death Day Part 2. But Melody comes in and lets her know that she shouldn't be on this property anymore, that they bought the property, she needs to leave, the bank foreclosed it and sold it to her group. Of course, the woman is like, No, you don't understand. I need to stay. My boy is here. This is my place. I have the deed and the police come and take her. On the way out, Leatherface is in the ambulance with her. And this is really what kicks everything off, Mm -hmm. is that she ends up having a heart attack and she dies in the ambulance. 
But after she died, we saw him just snap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's an immediate switch. And once it gets started, it doesn't stop. I'll give it that. It does not. And it starts in that ambulance. He takes everyone down in the most brutal, horrific ways. And I loved it. Yes. The bone cracking alone. (laughs) (laughs) I can still hear it play out in my head right now. Yeah. We have seen so many memes come out from the trailer of him holding the face up in, you know, into the sun to kind of look through it. And I mean, I've seen so many memes about, you know, the right way to eat your fruit roll up and (laughs) whatever, different things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So he takes the face of the woman from the orphanage and... That is his face that he then wears. So he is back to Leatherface. Yes. And he makes his way back to the town. In a record time. (laughs) He does. You know, he has that super march, man. Uh, How old is he now? How old would he be now? I mean, all right. At best, he was late 20s (laughs) in the original film so this is 50 years later this is 70 year old leatherface at least yeah and this dude has got some cardio i can tell you that yes he does i guess laurie strode and sally aren't the only ones who have been (laughs) deadlifting and getting on the treadmill for 50 years Yes, so he makes his way back to Harlow, and he takes his anger out on the huge group of social media influencers who are there. At first, he starts off one by one with a couple of the first characters. But then I will say, as much as we are kind of dogging on this film a little bit, that we got a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We did. We got a full-on massacre. Now, we have not seen this level of massacre in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Agreed. In the first one, you didn't see it at all. So, (laughs) (laughs) you have that. One of the parts from the trailer that people really hated on before even seeing it was when he entered a bus, which was kind of this party bus. There's a blue light going on. Everybody's drinking, taking selfies, having fun. And he enters that bus. And of course, what does everyone do? Because they're all 21 and social media is life. They pull out their phones and uh, one of the guys tells them, hey, dude, you try anything, you're going to get canceled. I really don't think that's a concern with Leatherface, but okay. A guy gets on wearing someone else's face and he has a chainsaw and he's going to be worried about getting canceled on Twitter. Right. So after that is, like I said, a huge chainsaw massacre. And I loved it. Oh, yeah. It was definitely what I wanted to happen. The gore. I mean, it just went from person to person and the gore was insane. The chainsaw went through people. There was even a scene where he puts the chainsaw through a guy in front of him and then backs the guy up into a female who was standing behind him. So it's a double whammy. Yes. It was a great scene. And then you get this shot. Now, this is probably one of the best shots for me. The scene where it comes out from the bus and it's kind of like a Romero film where all of their hands are hitting the windows and everything is bloody and it looks like a zombie invasion, you know, that they're all just hitting at the windows. Yes. The one thing I could have done without for this scene is seeing the social media screen and people went live on Instagram with this and they were videoing him to cancel him if he tries anything. Right. You know, of course, you have people commenting on the the instagram live dude is this fake wow this looks real where is this i want to go okay stop stop 
Yeah, the only thing that got canceled was the franchise yet again. We're left down to Melody, and we're left down to her sister, who was played by Elsie Fisher. So these two young women are running through the town of Harlow, and they are freaking out because they have nowhere to go. And all of a sudden, who shows up? Basically a cameo, because she's barely in the film, Sally. I can't say anything positive about her part in the film. I feel like along with taking the 2018 Halloween approach to bringing back this final girl who is super survivalist looking for her revenge. The other thing that they did is they pulled Halloween kills to where they bring back these original characters and get us excited about this original character coming back because who doesn't love Sally? She's she's one of the best, most underrated final girls out there. Right. Brings her back and just doesn't give her enough to do. They didn't know what to do with Sally. No. And it clearly shows. It does. Because unfortunately, what they do with her is make her make horrible decisions and die. Yep. The end. Along with her horrible decisions, you know, one of them is that apparently in this world, Leatherface needs a reason to kill. So whenever Sally comes to the town and she confronts Leatherface, she wants him to tell her that he remembers her. Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't do this. Leatherface is not a man of many words. No. No, he's not going to say hi. He's not going to reminisce with her, go down memory lane. He says nothing and walks away. And I'm thinking, why would he do that? He literally just killed 40 kids on a bus. I don't know why he would just walk away from her at that point. He doesn't need a reason to kill. And why would she let him walk away? She has him dead to rights, freezes like a deer in the headlights because... He doesn't remember her name. This dude murdered your family member and all your best friends. Like, I understand there's trauma there. That didn't go over my head. But I think after 50 years, you say you've been trying to find this person for 50 years, which I also have some details with that that I want to dive into that are just god awful. You're just going to let this dude walk away from you? No, no, no. You know, the walking away thing I had a problem with, but I could have let that slide a little bit more if she didn't let him because the two the two young women come to her when she is in her vehicle and mm-hmm. they get in the vehicle with her and she tells them, you have to stay in town because you're the one he wants. Yeah. As if he has this predator type focus on a target and that is going to be his target. That is just not the way this works. No. So she makes the two young women stay there. They're terrified. All their friends just got killed. And she's making them, as a Texas Ranger especially, she's making them stay in the backseat of this car. So she goes in to look for him. She confronts him, has the scene we just talked about. Not only does he walk away from her, but she lets him slowly, by the way, because again, I mean, this is like a, you know, (laughs) senior citizen leather face here. Um, (laughs) She slowly lets him get back to the town square where the women are. And break into the car. And it's only when he's pulling one out of the car that she shows up and takes a shot. She is in way better shape than what Leatherface would have been hanging out in this orphanage for 50 years. Mm -hmm. How did she let him get all the way to the town square to pull someone out of a car and almost saw her leg off before taking a shot? She had the shot to begin with, doesn't take it, lets him get... As close as possible to murdering someone who she's 
Like, I don't know if she even cares about saving them because it sure didn't make it look like it. And then take the shot. It, it just, oh, That really got me. And then, you know, of course, with Sally, I mean, she has this very epic kill afterward. She's the one killed, not that she takes the kill, but she's the one killed. And he does it in the way that we actually saw in Halloween Kills with the fireman. Yep. Um, we actually saw that exact same shot and kill. I've seen the comparison side by side, and <laughs> it's exact. Hey, it's a good kill, though. I'll give him that. It is, until you realize she survived it. She survived it to take that last shot towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta save that day one more time. One of the things that I actually really did enjoy about this film is it was directed very well. There was many memorable shots. The way he used lighting and a lot of the shadows was really well done. There's some blurring effects that he does with Leatherface at the beginning, which I really enjoy. I'm always a fan of keeping the monster hidden for as long as possible. And yeah, I was really pleased with how it was actually shot. I just wish the writing was on par with the directing, to be honest with you, and I would have enjoyed this film a lot more. What's really surprising about that is, as I mentioned, David Blue Garcia, this is his first mainstream film that he directed. And like you said, the directing, the cinematography, all of that was just gorgeous. And then the writing is where the film faltered. And I was really surprised by that. Yes. While we're talking about the whole Sally thing, you can't expect me to believe that this woman has been searching for Leatherface for 50 years when the place that this took place in the original film is a hop, skip, and a jump away from one of your relatives' houses. So you're not going to remember where this was and investigate that. They don't mention that at all. It said she just couldn't find him. Well, he's not in the original house anymore. I know. I'm going to get to that. The argument made is what well, he moved and isn't there anymore. Okay. How could you not track down where he went to, especially if this woman has somehow had him in this orphanage since childhood now? It completely made me dislike this film from the get-go. There's just so many scenarios that, that are just nonsense. I'm from rural Texas. Mm-hmm. I am from a very small town. I understand how these you know, little small towns are here in Texas. And if you were to commit these atrocities and you were to move maybe 10 minutes across town, like he did, he went from th- his family's house to this orphanage. Mm-hmm. I feel like within 50 years now, they did say, you know, he wore a mask. How can you figure out who it is now? Yes, he wore a mask, but it was also centered around one family, mm-hmm. longtime residents of the town now. How do you not know where one of them went? How do you not know that one of them went to the orphanage? It is the best well-kept secret in Texas. I have so many questions with the orphanage. I just don't get (laughs) as it is. I'll I'll say it's better than Texas Chainsaw 3D. (laughs) That's about it. Yes. We just went through a lot of things about this film that we did not like. There are some good things, though. I mean, really, I, I have to tell you. I mean, I just cannot find a single complaint when it comes to the kills or the gore, Mm -hmm. the actual horror. It it just really all lies within the characters and the character decisions. Now, you and I as horror fans and many people who are going to be listening to this, we like movies that are dumb (laughs) sometimes. Oh, yeah. I have a microwave massacre poster on my wall. I love a lot of really, really bad flicks. 
Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is my favorite film of all time. There you go. I mean, it doesn't get more ludicrous than that. True. That's very true. (laughs) And when it comes to slashers, one thing that I've been seeing, um, you know, because people have been arguing online like they do every single time anything ever comes out, people have to fight about it online. And I grab my popcorn, sit back and watch. (laughs) I don't like to involve myself. Um, I'll just keep loading comments to keep reading. But one point that people make, which I totally get this because I kind of made this point in Halloween Kills. So I feel a little bit like a hypocrite. I think we both are just a little bit here is that slashers are supposed to be mindless fun. Yes, I agree. We love these films. We love mindless slashers. So why should we expect this one to be elevated above even Halloween Kills or other slashers that we love? Which I get that argument. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny that people who I know love Halloween Kills, like us, do not love this film. And people who love this film did not love Halloween Kills. And I've been seeing that a lot. And it makes me laugh because I'm like, we should all be on the same page, I feel like, you know? Yeah, that's a very great question. It is. Yeah, I'm glad you presented that. Do you have an answer for it? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I sure don't. I I mean, it's always going to boil down to people like what they like. Yeah, it is just what I can tolerate because Mm -hmm. I would watch Halloween Kills again because I really enjoyed the majority of the characters minus a few, but I I did. I enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. And this one, I don't know if I'd ever watch it again just because the characters grated on my nerves so bad Yeah, that I just, I I wouldn't be able to find any rewatchability. Right. But I had to put that out there so that nobody on social media beats us over the head about it. Maybe they will anyway. I don't know. We'll see. The last thing, though, that I really want to talk about with this film is the post credit scene. It sets up the next film. That'll never happen. Oh, man. We do know that Garcia is interested in making a sequel to this film. And the post credit scene has Leatherface walking back to his family farm. Unless it ages him another five years or something, I can't really imagine him coming across yet another group of young people to take down. <laughs> I want to see like 99 year old Leatherface. Yeah, he's grandpa now. They're helping Leatherface use the hammer and the bucket. Yep. <laughs> but thank you everyone for joining this episode of the Horror Geek Podcast. And Matt, thank you once again for coming on and talking horror with us. Always a pleasure. Be sure to follow or subscribe if you enjoy the show and connect with us on social media at Horror Geek Life. And I'm at Horror Geek Mel on Instagram. Until next week. Thank <laughs> you.